Good morning and welcome again to Our American Heritage. I am Mark Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from the beginning through the present. And today we want to welcome back Bart Van Balkenberg. So Bart, again, welcome back to the program. Thank you. And Bart was talking about local veterans in Montgomery County, Chester County, and some in Delaware County. And he had talked about two in the previous program. So Bart, we want to pick it right back up with you and continue on in your study and research on local veterans throughout American history. Sure. As I said earlier, uh, one of the things I really like is the nicknames that these guys, these veterans, would go under. And there's two from the area. They were born in the 1890s. One guy's name was Hap, and the other guy's name was Tui. <laughs> Hap and Tui. So I don't know what you can expect from two guys named Hap and Tui, but uh, <laughs> you know, to, to make a long story short, Hap graduated West Point in 1907. He was taught to fly by the Wright brothers in 1911. Wow. He, ha- he has pilot certificate number 29. So he was the 29th licensed pilot in the world. And in World War II, he was a five-star general in charge of the Army Air Force named Henry Arnold. Wow. Half Arnold. Arnold. Wow. Yeah. And he, he uh, was born in Gladwin in Lower Marion. And when Hap uh, retired... He was replaced by Tui. <laughs> Tui, Tui is another guy. He was born in Boyertown in 1891, and he passed away in 1974 and is buried at the Air Force Academy. And Tui's real name was Carl Andrew Spatz. Huh. Tui Spatz. In World War One, he was a pilot uh, in Europe. He had three kills. The way the story goes, he had one kill, and then a week later he had two kills, and then he crashed his own plane. (laughs) (laughs) Tui also did a thing that was amazing. He and two other guys flew this plane called the Question Mark, and it spent six days aloft uh, being refueled by air. So that was a a record in its day back in the um, early 30s. He was in charge of the 8th Air Force in World War II, and just was an incredible man. And Tui and Hap were buddies. And they were the two guys that made the Air Force, Air Corps back then work. So thank God for them. Yes. Yeah. Now, here's another nickname. This one is especially dear to my heart. His name is Nappy. Nappy. N-A-P-P-I-E. Yeah, Nappy. There was a quote from an Army general. It says, Nappy, you're a one-man army. That's what you are. You're a one-man army. And his name is Alton W. Mappenberger. Ah. And I, I first got to know about Nappy when I was in uh, junior high school. His, um, down in Ballot his son was in my class, Alton Jr. So I, I've been aware of Nappy forever. And he was born in 1923, and he passed away in 2008. And he was born up in Coopersburg, went to a one-room school through the fifth grade. So, you know, you, this is like 1929, 1930. One of eight kids uh, farming and hunting during his teens. And he was drafted in 1943 during World War II. Uh, Nappy was five foot six inches tall, 118 pounds. Wow. <laughs> Not a big guy. 
yeah, he's going to run. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he was in Italy in that Anzio area in February 1st, 1944. And his company of over 200 guys is uh, being decimated by the Germans. And Matthew's on a hill with a BAR, a Browning Automatic Rifle. And he spends two and a half hours shooting and, and saving whoever was left. Runs out of ammunition, would crawl over to another guy and grab ammunition. And he was finally got together with his um, five or six of the colleagues, the only guys that were left of the, of the company. And um, he was credited with killing 60 Germans. Hmm. And Nappy was uh, awarded the Medal of Honor for that action. And there's, there's some pictures out there of the medal ceremonies. And there's, there's all these tall guys in a line, and then this little short guy. Little <laughs> short guy. Yeah. And what was normal back in World War II and later, when a soldier generally would be awarded a Medal of Honor, they'd be sent home for war bond drives. Mm-hmm. Well, that Nappy was sent home. He was a, a staff sergeant at that time, and he was supposedly in Washington or somewhere with a couple officers who were his uh, handlers, his, his managers. And he was quoted in a newspaper article in an interview. He says, yeah, and I gave him the slip and I went home. <laughs> and that, that, that's that kind of terminology you get from like the Bowery Boys movies. And yeah, slip. I gave him the slip. <laughs> uh, and after the war, he, he worked in uh, contract paving and, and driving trucks and stuff. Lived the rest of his life in uh, Bucks and Montgomery County. He's buried in Arlington Cemetery. And there's there's a great photograph of Nappy, probably 70 at this point. He's wearing a flannel shirt with his suspenders and the Medal of Honor's around his neck. Yeah, and he's like, he's like everybody's grandpa. You just want to go and hug the guy. Special man, Nappy, the one yeah. man army. Wow. Now here, here's another one, another local. Maybe, maybe more amazing. David Dolby. David was from Oaks, born in 1946, passed away in 2010. In May of 1966, he's in the first cab in Viet, in the Central Highlands, uh-huh. and uh, their platoon walked into a uh, bunker complex. The lieutenant was wounded, and he told David, "You're in charge." He was a spec four corporal at that time. And um, he took charge. There's a book, Battles in the Monsoon. Um, and the, the author has one entire chapter about Dolby's efforts that day to save his platoon. And he, he knocked out uh, machine guns and bunker complexes, threw smoke grenades, uh, took all the wounded and got them back to safety. And of course, that kind of um, effort, David was awarded the Medal of Honor. Again, that's it was presented by Lyndon Johnson. And there's a great photograph of Sergeant Dolby standing there uh, while Lyndon's putting the, uh, President Johnson's putting the medal around his neck. Hmm. David, unlike the other guys, he did five tours in Vietnam. Five, five tours. tours. Yep. He said that's where the action is. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he also was awarded the Silver Star. He was also awarded a Bronze Star. He was also awarded a second Bronze Star. He was also awarded a third Bronze Star. And he also was awarded a Purple Heart. So after the war, 
he got out and became a regular guy again. His dad was um, involved with the Goodrich plant in Oaks. He worked there for a while. He worked with his brother's landscaping business. But about 10 years ago or so, uh, 12 years ago, the Freedom Foundation in Valley Forge, which Arch knows well. Yes, very well. Uh, has a large forest called the uh, Medal of Honor Grove. And it was established by Dwight Eisenhower and Omar Bradley, two World War II generals and a bunch of business people, E.F. Hutton. And it's uh, like about an acre for each state. And each state has a obelisk monument and markers to acknowledge the Medal of Honor winners from their state. And the grove had completely fallen in disrepair. Yes. And it, it was reverting back to a forest again. And it was, it was disgusting. And David saw this. And then David started another war with the Freedom Foundation. <laughs> he wasn't going to let it happen. And there was, there was chatter that the foundation was going to sell the forest, the Medal of Honor Grove, for a housing development. And David got the community, uh, Senator Andy Deniman from Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and tons of volunteers. And they went in and they cleaned the Medal of Honor Grove. And today it's standing tall. It has a great representative that's uh, the leader of the Medal of Honor Grove, part of the uh, Freedom Foundation. And the, the, the forest is the way it's supposed to be, honoring the Medal of Honor awardees, past and, and living. So, And, and Bart, they, anybody who wants to go and, you know, walk through the Medal of Honor Grove at the Freedom Foundation, it is free to the public and just go over to the foundation go around the back and you can walk through the Medal of Honor Grove. And it's, I, it's a lot of acres and it's it, because of these people, it is now well maintained to yeah. honor all of our, the uh, Medal of Honor winners. Yeah. And it's, it's like 40, 47 acres or something like that. Something and like, it's got yeah. asphalt, asphalt paved trails and rolling hills. It's uh, really delightful. It really you is. Learn, learn about your heroes. And it's definitely worth it. Okay. The next guy. Next guy went to Valley Forge Military Academy down oh. in, in Wayne. Yeah. Huh. About that. And probably easy to remember his name, Storman Norman. Uh. <laughs> yep. General Schwarzkopf. Yeah. After Valley Forge, he went to West Point and did two tours in Vietnam. And there's a couple different kind of officers. There's a type of officers that lead from the front. And when you talk to those kind of officers, uh, they're the ones that tell you that my men eat first. And when they're done eating, then I eat. And Storm and Norman was that kind of an officer. Mm -hmm. uh, when he was in Vietnam, he was a captain and things. And he did two tours. And he, he had uh, three silver stars, three bronze stars, and two purple hearts. So he didn't shirk anything. He even led a uh, South Vietnamese company as an uh, advisor. Uh -huh. There's a picture picture of him carrying a wounded South Vietnamese soldier off the battlefield. So quite a guy. And then if you remember the um, invasion of Granada, when the Cubans were down in the island and, and the government was afraid of Granada becoming a new communist spot, uh, the uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, and everybody did an invasion in Granada. And uh, it was a mess. Nobody would talk to anybody. Uh, the Marines wouldn't talk to the Army. The Army wouldn't talk to the Air Force. Right, right. And uh, Schwarzkopf learned that. 
And um, so when it came time for Desert Shield and Desert Storm, Schwarzkopf and his boss, Colin Powell, got together and they did the planning so that all the different military groups and the allies worked together as one team. And of course, Storm and Norman led the charge. I figure it was 100 hours and they stopped. Yes, 100 hours. Everything. Yep. Um, so Norman Schwarzkopf, he was a uh, led from the front. Some men loved him, and the public loved him. And he used to do those news conferences where he yes. tell you the smart bomb funny. He says, this guy's going to have a bad day. Kaboom. Yes. Bart, I remember so vividly every night watching the news when he would have those news conferences and showing Americans, you know, what the military was doing over there. Yeah. yeah. Weren't they great? Yeah, they were phenomenal. He, he helped restore the um, honor and professionalism of the United States military. Yes, he sure did. Quite a guy, four-star general. Just a mainline guy. Yep. And then, oh, here's another guy, the gremlin. <laughs> the, the gr- Gremlin was born in 1924 in Garrett Hill, Pennsylvania, which is uh, just south of Villanova mm-hmm. and uh, just east of Rosemont. And in World War II, he tried to enlist in the Army and the Navy, and they both said no because he had had a neck injury that he, he got while playing college football. But then in 1943, he was able to join the Coast Guard. So the Coast Guard... People don't realize that during the war, they were overseas. Yes. And in 1944, their ship was hit by a Japanese torpedo, I believe it was. And one of the crewmen was on fire, and the gremlin jumped in and saved them. And that was in the South Pacific. And then in 1946, just after the war, he's up in uh, Newfoundland or somewhere, and one of his uh, shipmates falls into the water, which was 34 degrees. And doesn't the gremlin jump in and save him? Huh. <laughs> so, so he was awarded the silver life-saving medal from the Coast Guard and the gold and silver medals are their two highest decorations. Do, um, do, when he got out of the uh, Coast Guard, he was going back to school and he didn't have any money or anything to do it. So he figured, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe I can do this. And he, he got a hitched a ride up to New York City and went to the New York Giants football team and tried out. Huh. And they gave him a job. And the gremlin, his real name is Emlyn Tamel. And Emlyn was the first African-American to be uh, play for the New York Giants. Wow. And he played for the Giants for um, 10 years. He was all pro six times. Hmm. And he was in eight pro bowls. Uh, he was a safety. He held all kinds of records. Um, and then, this, this is cool, there was a coach for the Giants, that assistant coach, and he took a job as the head coach of the New York, of the uh, Green Bay Packers in 59. guy's name was Vince Lombardi. Oh, yeah. wow. And if you remember, scary. I said that Emlyn played safety. So the first thing Lombardi did was bought Emlyn's contract from the uh, Giants and made him a Packer. Huh. And he was towards the end of his career, but uh, the last year, 61, he wound up with the NFL championship. Yeah, wow. And here's another milestone. In 1967, 
He was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, but this is even cooler. The very first, very first African-American in the Pro Football wow. Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yes, yes, um, amazing. He, he passed away in 75. This year, in 2021, the Coast Guard's going to name a Coast Guard cutter after him. Wow. So that's cool. Now, how did do, do you know how he got the nickname, the Gremlin? I don't know. No, no. <laughs> but I, I think it's cool. So we had uh, Hat and Tui and old Gimlin and I yeah, and the Gremlin. <laughs> Poor you David know, Dolby. Yeah, David I, Dolby I, was just Dave, you know? Yes. There's a, here's another quick one. There was a uh, fellow named Hobart Armory Hair Baker. His nickname was Hobie. Hobie. And, he was born in Palakinwood, um, and he was a sports star in every year. In 1914, he was uh, national championship in hockey. His career at Princeton, where he went to college, 120 goals and 100 assists. He would only play amateur hockey. Uh, he learned how to fly after he got out of college. Went to France as an officer and a pilot. Had his own squadron. What was cool about his planes, he had them painted black with an orange tiger on it for the uh, Princeton colors. And Hobie, Hobie was killed just after the war was over, a month after. Mm. In December, crashed a plane. And um, he had orders to come home in his pocket. And he was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1945, the College Hall of Fame. And just an incredible guy. And they have a annual award, the hockey version of the Heisman Trophy, given to the best college hockey player. And it's a Hobie Baker uh, Memorial Award. And Princeton Hockey Rink is named for Hobie. Huh. And Hobie's buried down in Ballacanwood at West Laurel Hill Cemetery. Okay. And it's, it's hard to find grave, but it's kind of neat because the hockey players in college uh, go there to visit Hobie's grave. And anytime you go there, there's always hockey pucks laid on the gravestone. Wow. As a, hey. So, and, and this guy, man, he he was just a gorgeous human being. And the whole world loved him. Yeah. Hobie Baker. Where, now, Bart, some people didn't hear our first program. Share with our listeners, please, where they're able to go and see some of these memorials for the local veterans of the different wars. Yeah. Um, actually, what you do is, it's like I was talking about uh, Emlyn Tunnell. There's a statue of him in the Delaware County Hall of Fame down in Radnor. And Hobie Baker's grave in uh, West Laurel Cemetery. And old Gimlet Eye, Smedley Butler, he's buried in Westchester. And then various towns and stuff have put up veterans memorials. In fact, for the Paley Battlefield, we have a nice one. That um, There's one for the World War One. One for World War II, and then our newest memorial there is for all the soldiers and, and sailors and men and women from uh, Korea to today. There's there's a lot of them around. Every town will have one. And the one that you mentioned in our first program about the uh, the memorial that's west of Newtown Square off Route Three, yeah, Route Three at Edgemont. That's now is that if I is that from all Delaware County veterans? 
that this it's done by the Delaware County Veterans Group, but um, it has everybody and their brother listed. And families bought bricks and stuff with their loved ones' names. Anthony Wayne's names there. Oh, goes way back. Way back. Um, it has a statue of Wild Bill Gournier from the Band of Brothers with mm-hmm. a missing leg and a, and a crutch, and he's there. So it's it's worth stopping by. That's a nice nice memorial to visit. Bart, I had several of Wild Bill's grandchildren. I taught several of his grandchildren because they grew up in Brumo, Newtown Square. And we had we had Wild Bill in several times to speak to the kids, and he was a pepper pot his whole well, life. Yes, I, I met him a couple times, and uh, he said, you know, of course they were in the 101st Airborne. Right. He told me, yeah, the, the fourth the fourth division is okay too. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that was my unit. One because you know, he used crutches his whole the rest of his life, and he actually yeah. said he actually told one of the students one time that he was about ready to throw his crutch at him if he didn't pay attention. <laughs> so, That's funny, Bart. As we're ending up here again, share with our listeners, please, where they're able to get a hold of the Traditional East Town Historical Society to be able to get in contact with you and the programs and possibly get involved with Tradifferent East Town? Sure, it's real simple. TE History, Tradifferent East Town, tehistory.org. And I'm not trying to do one more of that. We're, we're probably looking at another two, two and a half, three minutes, Bart. But yeah, go ahead, okay. please. Uh, this guy's name was Pete, and he was born in Philly in 1930, went to Harriford School, and he learned to fly as a teenager at the mainline airport out in Fraser. Went to Princeton, joined the U.S. Navy, became a pilot there. He joined NASA in 1962, and he was known to have a sense of humor. And I read once that um, he gave a stool sample to the doctor, and he had it in a box with a ribbon tied around it as a <laughs> present. My type of guy. I like that humor. Yeah. Yeah. And um, his name was Charles Pete Conrad. Oh, he flew on Gemini 5, Gemini 11, and Skylab. But the the biggest thing is he was the commander of Apollo 12. He was the third man on the moon. And Pete's humor, if you remember the first guy on the moon. um, Shepard, or Armstrong, Neil Armstrong. Yeah, Armstrong is one one small step for man, one giant man. Um, Pete, Pete gets out of it, and he says, whoopee. (laughs) <laughs> and then he said, man, that was one small step for him, but it was a giant one for me because Pete was short. Yeah. <laughs> and just Pete was tremendous. He got out of the astronaut corps and he passed away in um, July of 99 in a motorcycle accident. Yeah. So he was living life to the fullest. Yeah. He was one. He was the second group of astronauts. And when I was a kid, the astronauts were my heroes. Yes. Yes. Me too. And, the Apollo 12 was Conrad, Gordon, and Bean, the mm-hmm. three guys. And um, it's an amazing, amazing trip. There's a picture of a, uh, uh, the lunar lander, and Pete Conrad is about 100 yards away, standing by Surveyor 3, which was a unmanned lunar landing. And they landed so close, he went down there, and they took equipment off it. They took some cameras and things from an unmanned mission several years before. And I, I'd forgotten that, and it's just yeah. amazing. So 
Pete Conrad's another one of our mainline favorites. Oh. Well, Bart, we want to thank you for coming and sharing some of these fabulous and interesting stories about local veterans throughout the history of our country. And thank you for your service. We thank you for your research and, you know, continuing to educate all of us with the rich history that we have. And listeners, I'm going to put a plug in, please go onto the Paley Battlefield website. And when we open back up, you all need to really take one of Bart's bus tours all over the, the area, looking at a lot of the Rev War sites. So Bart, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for coming again and sharing with us. And we look forward to doing some more programs with you. So thank you, Bart. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. This is 1180 AM WFYL, working for your liberty.